calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome to the Nightmare Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Kincaid, coming at you from the State University of New York at Fredonia. That's SUNY Fredonia, where I'm currently a student with an audio, radio, and video double major. The good days are here again, folks. It is also Devil's Night, technically Halloween. What better of a day to record an intro for Nightmare Magazine, which is edited by John Joseph Adams, and the story podcast is produced by Skyboat Media, in association with Jim Freund. Our first offering for the November issue is La Cremosa by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. The story is read for you by Stefan Rudnicki. La Cremosa is copyright 2015 by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Silvia Moreno-Garcia is the author of Signal to Noise, a tale of music, magic, in Mexico City, which The Guardian has called a magical first novel. Her debut collection, This Strange Way of Dying, was a finalist for the Sunburst Award for Excellence in Canadian Literature of the Fantastic. Her stories have also been collected in Love and Other Poisons. She has edited several anthologies, including Dead North and Fractured, Tales of the Canadian Post-Apocalypse. She blogs at sylviamoreno-garcia.com and tweets at sylviamg. And so ends this week's intro. So without further ado, let's have a nightmare. Lacrimosa by Silvia Moreno-Garcia The woman is a mound of dirt and rags pushing a squeaky shopping cart, a lump that moves steadily, slowly forward, as if dragged by an invisible tide. Her long, greasy hair hides her face, but Ramon feels her staring at him. He looks ahead. The best thing to do with the homeless mob littering Vancouver is to ignore it. Give them a buck and the beggars cling to you like barnacles. "'Have you seen my children?' the woman asks. Her voice, sandpaper against his ears, makes him shiver. His heart jolts as though someone has pricked it with a needle. He keeps on walking, but much faster now. 
It isn't until he is shoving the milk inside the fridge that he realizes why the woman's words have upset him. She reminds him of the Yorona. He hasn't thought about her in years, not since he was a child living in Potrero. Everyone in town had a story about the Yorona. The most common tale was that she drowned her children in the river and afterwards roamed the town searching for them at night. Her pitiful cries are a warning and an omen. Camillo, Ramon's great-uncle, swore on his mother's grave that he met this ghost while riding home one night. It was the rainy season, when the rivers overflow, and Camillo was forced to take a secondary, unfamiliar road. He spotted a woman in white bending over some nopales at the side of a lonely path. Her face was covered with the spines of the prickly pears she had savagely bitten. She turned around and smiled. Blood dripped from her open mouth and stained her white shift. This was the kind of story the locals whispered around Potrero. It was utter nonsense, especially coming from the lips of a chronic alcoholic like Camillo. But it was explosive stuff for an eight-year-old boy who stayed up late to watch black-and-white horror flicks on the battered TV set. However, to think about the Yorona there in the middle of the city between the sky train tracks and a pawn shop is ridiculous. Ramon never packed ghost stories in his suitcase, and Potrero and the Yorona are very far away. He sees the homeless woman sitting beneath a narrow ledge, shielding herself from the rain. She weeps and hugs a plastic bag as though it were a newborn. Have you seen my children? she asks when he rushes by, clutching his umbrella. Nearby, a man sleeps in front of an abandoned store, an ugly old dog curled next to him. The downtown homeless peek at Ramon from the shadows as he steps over old cigarette butts. They say this is an up-and-coming neighborhood, but each day he spots a new beggar wielding an empty paper cup at his face. It is disgraceful. This is the very reason why he left Mexico. He escaped the stinking misery of his childhood and the tiny bedroom with the black-and-white TV set he had to share with his cousins. Behind his house there were prickly pears and emptiness. No roads and no buildings. Just a barren nothing swallowed by the purple horizon. It was easy to believe that the Yorona roamed there. But not in Vancouver, which is new and shiny, foaming with lattes and tiny condos. The dogs are howling. They scare him. Wild stray animals that roam the back of the house at nights. His uncle told him the dogs howled when they saw the Yorona. Ramon runs to the girl's room and sneaks into his mother's bed, terrified of the noise, and his mother has to hold him in her arms until he falls asleep. But when he wakes up, Ramon is in his apartment, and it is only one dog, the neighbor's Doberman, barking. He rolls to the center of the bed, staring at the ceiling. Ramon spots the woman a week later, her arms wrapped around her knees. "'My children,' she asks, with her cloud of dirty hair obscuring her face. Where are my children? Nauseating in her madness, a disgusting sight growing like a canker sore and invading his streets, just like the other homeless littering the area, the man in front of the drugstore that always asks him for spare change even though Ramon never gives him any, or the gnarled man beneath a familiar blanket, eternally sleeping in the shade of the burger joint.
The city is heading to the gutter. Sure, it looks pretty from afar with its tall glass buildings and its mountains, but below there is a depressing stew of junkies and panhandlers that mars the view. It reminds him of Potrero and the bedroom with the leaky ceiling. He stared at that small yellow leak, which grew to become an obscene dark patch above his bed, until one day he grabbed his things and headed north. He felt like repeating his youthful impulsiveness, gathering his belongings in a duffel bag, and leaving the gray skies of Vancouver. But he had the condo, which would fetch a killing one day if he was patient, his job, and all the other anchors that a man pushing forty can accumulate. A few years before, maybe, and now it seemed like a colossal waste of time. Ramon tries to comfort himself with the thought that one day when he retires he will move to a tropical island of pristine white beaches and blue-green seas where the wrecks of humanity can never wash ashore. He's gone to buy groceries, and there she is, picking cans out of the garbage in the alley behind the supermarket, Yorona. He used to send a postcard to his mother every year when he was younger, newly arrived in the States. He couldn't send any money because dishwashing didn't leave you with many spare dollars, and he couldn't phone often because he rented a room in a house and there was no phone jack in there. If he wanted to make a call, he had to use the payphone across the street. Instead, he sent postcards. Carmen didn't like it. His sister complained about his lack of financial support for their mother. Why do I have to take care of Mom, huh? Why is it me stuck in the house with her, she asked him. Don't be melodramatic. You like living with Mom. You're off in California and never send a goddamn cent. It ain't easy. It ain't easy here either, Ramon. You're just like all the other shitty men, just taking off and leaving the land and the women behind. Who's going to take care of Mom when she gets old and sick? Who's going to clean the house and dust it then? With what fucking money? I ain't doing it, Ramon. Bye, Carmen. There's some things you can't get rid of, Ramon, his sister yelled. He didn't call after that. Soon he was heading to another city, and by the time he reached Canada, he didn't bother sending postcards. He figured he would one day, but things got in the way, and years later he thought it would be even worse if he tried to phone. And what would they talk about now? It had been ages since he'd left home and the sister and cousins that had lived in Potrero. He'd gotten rid of layers and layers of the old Ramon, molting into a new man. But maybe Carmen had been right. Maybe there's some things you can't get rid of, certain memories, certain stories, certain fears that cling to the skin like old scars. These things follow you. Maybe ghosts can follow you too. It's a bad afternoon. Assholes at work and in the streets, and then a heavy, disgusting rain pours down almost a sludge that swallows the sidewalks. He's lost his umbrella and walks with his hands jammed inside his jacket's pockets, head down. Four more blocks and he'll be home. That's when Ramon hears the squeal, a high-pitched noise. It's a shriek, a moan, a sound he's never heard before. What the hell is that? He turns and looks, and it is the old woman, the one he's nicknamed Yorona, pushing her shopping cart. Squeak, squeak, goes the cart, matching each of his steps. Squeak, squeak, a metallic chirping echoed by a low mumble. Children, children, children.
Squeak! 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 A metallic chant with an old rhythm. He walks faster. The cart matches his pace. Wheels roll. He doubles his efforts, hurrying to cross the street before the light changes. The cart groans closer than before, nipping at his heels. He thinks she is about to hit him with the damn thing, and then all of a sudden the sound stops. He looks over his shoulder. The old woman is gone. She has veered into an alley, vanishing behind a large dumpster. Ramon runs home. The dogs are howling again a howl that is a wail. The wind roars like a demon. The rain scratches the windows, begging to be let in, and he lies under the covers, terrified. He feels his mother's arm around his body, her hands smoothing his hair like she did when he was scared, just a little boy terrified of the phantoms that wander through the plains. His mother's hand pats his own. Mother's hand is bony, Gnarled long fingers with filthy nails, nails caked with dirt. The smells of mud, putrid garbage, and mold hit him hard. He looks at his mother, and her hair is a tangle of gray. Her yellow smile paints the dark. He leaps from the bed. When he hits the floor, he realizes the room is filled with at least three inches of water. Have you seen my children? the thing in the bed asks. The dogs howl, and he wakes up, his face buried in the pillow. He takes a cab to work. He feels safer that way. The streets are her domain. She owns the alleys. When he goes to lunch, he looks at the puddles and thinks about babies drowned in the water, corpses floating down the Silver River. Don't ever let the Yorona look at you, his uncle said. Once she's seen you, She'll follow you home and haunt you to death, little boy. Oh, my children, she'll scream and drag you into the river. But he'd left her behind in Potrero. He thought he'd left her behind. Ramon tries to recall if there is a charm or remedy against the evil spirit. His uncle never mentioned one. The only cure he knew was his mother's embrace. There, there, little one, she said, and he nested safe against her while the river overflowed and lightning traced snakes in the sky. In the morning there is a patch of sunlight. Ramon dares to walk a few blocks, but even without the rain the city feels washed out. Its color has been drained. It resembles the monochromatic images they broadcasted on the cheap television set of his youth. Even though he does not bump into her, the Orona's presence lays thick over the streets, pieces of darkness clinging to the walls and the dumpsters in the alleys. It even seems to spread over the people. The glassy eyes of a binner reflect a river instead of the bricks of a building. He hurries back home and locks the door. But when it rains again, water leaks into the living room, just a few little drops drifting into his apartment. He wipes the floor clean, more water seeps in like a festering boil, cut open and oozing disease. The Yorona stands guard in the alley. She is a lump in the night looking up at his apartment window. He feels her through the concrete walls and the glass, looking for him. He fishes for the old notebook with the smudged and forgotten number. The rain splashes against his building, 
and the wind cries like a woman. The dial tone is loud against his ear. More than ten years have passed. He has no idea what he'll say. He doesn't even understand what he wants to ask. He can't politely request to ship the ghost back to Mexico. He dials. The number has been disconnected. He thinks about Carmen and his mother and the dusty nothingness behind their house. There might not even be a house. Perhaps the night and the river swallowed them. The Llorona comes with the rain. Or maybe it is the other way around. The rain comes with her. Something else also comes. Darkness. His apartment grows dimmer. He remains in the pools of light, away from the blackness. Outside, in the alley, the Llorona scratches the dumpster with her nails. The dogs howl. Ramon shivers in his bed and thinks about his mother and how she used to drive the ghosts away. She is sitting next to a heap of garbage in the middle of the alley, water pouring down her shoulders. She clutches rags and dirt and pieces of plastic against her chest, her head bowed and her face hidden behind the screen of her hair. My children! My children! She looks up at him slowly. The rain coats her face, tracing dirty rivulets along her cheeks. He expects an image out of a nightmare, blood dripping, yellow cat eyes or a worn skull. But this is an old woman. Her skin has been torn by time and her eyes are cloudy. This is an old woman. She could be his mother. She might be, for all he knows. He lost her photograph a long time ago and can't recall what she looks like anymore. His mother, who ran her fingers through his hair and hugged him until the ghosts vanished. Now he's too old for ghosts, but the ghosts still come at nights. The woman looks at him, parched, forgotten, and afraid. I've lost my children, she whispers with her voice of dead leaves. The alley is a river. He goes to her, sinks into the muck, sinks into the silvery water. He embraces her, and she strokes his hair. The sky above is black and white, like the pictures in the old TV set, and the wind that howls in his ears is the demon wind of his childhood. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the story. Please consider making a stop at our website at nightmare-magazine.com. If you'd like to help spread the word about the Nightmare Magazine podcast, find us on iTunes and leave a review or rating there. Nightmare Magazine is published by John Joseph Adams. If you haven't already subscribed, check out our many options at nightmare-magazine.com slash subscribe. The stories of this podcast are produced by Skyboat Media the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. You can check out Skyboat Media's website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production is in association with Jim Freund. Music and sound logos are composed and performed by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. There's other ways you can be notified of new Nightmare Magazine content. You can subscribe to our free monthly newsletter or RSS feed, follow us on Twitter, or like our fan page on Facebook. 
If you visit nightmare-magazine.com and click on this month's editorial, you'll find links to all of our social media pages. This podcast is copyright 2015 by Nightmare Magazine. Thanks for joining us. Sleep tight. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.